So it's it's a it's a new year, um, and I really want to look at everything I do with intention. And the big thing for me this year is to really build out a, a format for the podcast that really focuses itself on insights, on learnings, on experiences that are personal, but can be impactful and valuable to the people that actually listen to the podcast. And one of those things is just really going back to the source of why this podcast started. And I really wanted to create a safe space um, for creators, a safe space for entrepreneurs, a safe space for people that want to build things that matter, whether that's in their own businesses or you know within structures of a bigger business or someone else's sort of organization. If you do things that matter and you regard yourself as an ecosystem builder, as a person that really wants to move this country and this continent forward, this podcast is for you. So it's about game changers, it's about world builders, it's about people that really are invested in the future of what it looks like to be an African that's trying to build Africa. So I'm going to play just the intro that we recorded very originally um, at the beginning of what this podcast was. And I really hope you, you enjoy this new intro. To the Mass Startup Podcast. I'm Machine Budal. This podcast is an empowerment platform for the opportunity seekers, the problem solvers, the game changers, the future shapers, the world builders, the entrepreneurs. This podcast will look to explore the very nature of entrepreneurship in Africa and profile entrepreneurs who are breaking new ground in their respective industries. Thank you so much for listening to that. Um, so today, just like for the last two years, I'm starting the, the year with a podcast with a very dear friend who's become a pioneer in his space. Um, he's become a game changer in his space. He's become an innovator. He's used his creativity in a way that most people don't really get to experience, which is going from um, a very creative environment to a very, I don't want to say boring. <laughs> <laughs> very serious. Very serious. Mm. Very... Um, no, we're still not serious. In the serious environment. Yeah. So... Um, New Year, same first podcast host, uh, co-host slash, uh, I feel like I never interview you. No, we have conversations. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, you, yeah. me and you don't interview. Yeah. Like we have we do, fat we do. conversation. <laughs> you know what I was looking at the other day? Uh, our Facebook video, um, the first video we did. And it's like uh, pioneers versus pretenders. And we're doing that dumb Facebook video about Twitter is pretense, Facebook is real. And I was like, Mashudu, when are we recording again? You know? Because <laughs> yeah. it's fun times. Yeah. So my guest today is uh, founder, co-founder, um, co-founder, CEO, and what's that weird title you use? Chief only General? Bootcamp General. It's the only what, real What title. does that even mean, dude? <laughs> so... So do you know where that name came from? It's like, we were waging economic war. And it was like, the titles are all going to reflect um, army titles, right? So I thought, when I started, I mean, I was alone in the company operationally. So I was getting the boot camp of entrepreneurs ready to go out into the market. So I called myself the boot camp general. I like to pretend that somebody else gave me the title. I gave that title to myself. But then that tradition continued. We're on, what, six employees now? That con tradition continued with everybody else. I don't even know the titles of some of these people who work here. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I need to finish the intro. Yeah. <laughs> so Bootcamp General, CEO, and co-founder of the People's Fund, uh, Leander Jafta. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thank wish you. there was an applause. I think I, 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 heard, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> In 
my mind, I heard an applause <laughs> right there. Um, I think we're going to add applause to the, to the, <laughs> to the effects. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I think, I think the conversation I want to have is just like a lot of growth happens in a year. Mm. And it never feels like growth when you're going through it. Mm. And then at the end of the year or like at the beginning of a new year, you look back and it's like, holy shit. Mm. So much just happened and I've learned so much. I've grown so much. I'm not who I was when I began the year. And even further from that, like when you think about who you were as an entrepreneur, say um, three years ago, five years ago, what do you think has happened in that sort of period that's shaped you? How did you feel when you started and how do you feel right now? Wow. Actually, was you hit the nail on the head because I was been thinking about that, right? Like for the past two months. That if I told the truth from a business perspective, I'm bored, right? Like real talk because the things that really challenge me in life now are not business related. I mean, TPF is doing well. I mean, TPF does, on a bad month, it does 5 million a month, right? Do you want to explain just like what uh, the people fund? Oh, yes, yes. So what we do is... We fund purchase orders for people who've got contracts with government or corporate, and then we take a profit share from the project, so we find what you'd need. So we offer the, let's call it working capital, and then um, you deliver on the project, and when they pay you, you pay us back our capital, along with some of uh, a portion of your pro- profit, right? But yeah, so that happens automatically. I've got this flipping amazing team, right, who makes the thing sale. What does it take to build a good team, though? Shit. Um, One, one, you need to know what you need. You know that sounds like it's obvious? Yeah, it's not. It's not. Like, you need to know thoroughly what you need so that you can, in the very... You know that whole schlep about hire slowly, fire fast? Yeah. So that you can remove things that won't work for your team very quickly. I think one of the most painful things we do as entrepreneurs is we find it hard to let go of someone, you know? I mean, one of the people who worked at the People's Fund um, no longer works here. They are excelling at what they're doing now. And I think Ben Horowitz uh, spoke about that, saying, you know, you're not only hurting the company by holding somebody who's not functioning in your company back, you're also hurting them because they can't step out and go work somewhere where they can be great, right? And he's busy, like, killing it right now, right? And it's like, that makes me happy because, you know, we're humans first. <laughs> There's nothing more that hurts than saying, this is not working, you know? Um, so building a great team. One, they must be self-starters. And I suppose it depends on what you need the person in the team for. But to be honest, like, we're going into a world where it's just not possible to hire for anything very different. So, I mean, we're just moving in a world where... Being a self-starter is not optional anymore. Mm. If you're going to wait for someone to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why you need to do it, why it's important, why you need to prioritize it, how to be productive, how best to navigate things, you aren't going to survive in the world that we're living in now because it's like no one has that time anymore to literally walk people through each and every single thing or aspect that it takes to be in a, especially in a startup environment. Sure. It's just like not that, there's no liberty or, yeah. or time even. You'd be shocked. So how I'd phrase it, I'd phrase it like this. You'd be shocked how many people actually need to be told what to do and to be instructed how to do something. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. We all know we should be eating less sugar, right? But that we intellectually know that, but we don't practice it. It's like... I know I shouldn't be smoking, but I quit every month, right? Like, and I start smoking again. Um, so everybody intellectually knows what you're saying, but that's where knowing what you want comes in is knowing that this person is a self-starter. And maybe the word self-starter is the wrong one. What I mean is somebody who wants things to work, it's like it's a natural inbred thing for them where it's not a, okay, if it doesn't work, I'm still getting paid. It's a, why does this thing not work? Like, why does not work, you know? I mean, we had a whole month holiday from December the 13th to January the 13th, right? 
in that time, the company collected six million because these people just would not put the pen down, right? Like they still want to work. It's like this and this person owes us money. Let's go collect. You understand what I'm coming from? Is mm. that and you get lucky when you meet people like this, and it's hard to find it in an interview. That's why you have to do multiple interviews. But there's certain things that tell you. So, for example, my interview questions. Uh, my interview questions are: um, If money was no object, what would you be doing with your life? That's a very insightful co- uh, question. And then my second other important interview question is, it's usually randomized. I ask for something that I don't know the answer readily. Like, for example, how many shops are in Sentence City, right? I'm not asking that question for the answer. I'm asking that question to see how you get to that answer under pressure, because this is an interview environment, right? Or how many cars are in Joburg, right? Like, so for a good example for answering the question, how many cars are in Joburg, you'd go, one of the ladies who works on steering now, um, steering cinemas, right? She answered that. She was like, oh, yeah, I was in advertising, and we used to have billboards across the N1, and there we used to do 200,000 cars passing per day. So if I was to extrapolate that for the whole province, it would be at estimate. And I was like, yeah, done. Like, interview's over. Because you thought, you know, um, through the process. And that's what I'm looking for in an interview thing. And that sort of tells you what kind of person you're going to be working with, right? Those are my two most important questions. The other questions is just to make sure I understand you. And one that Musa told me was, um, tell me about your three best friends, right? And what do you do with them individually? People are who they chill with. So what the activities that preoccupy people with their friends will tell you what who they are, you know, mm-hmm. from an intent. And people, in that regard, people can change. And that eventually happens and I'm cool with that right like the changes that do eventually happen but at the moment I need you I need you to be in that in that zone mm. you know and it's ah and I've had a great support oh, my team I cannot <laughs> say my blessings enough right I mean I've had my fair share like like I was telling you the fair share of challenges I've had especially in the past year were non-business related you know but I'm also grateful to the challenges. They taught me so many, so many things, and they forced me to go into psychology, uh, spirituality, diet, you know, um, changing my diet. Uh, that's been truly helpful. And we should go into that. I mean, like, what, what, what sort of challenges, obviously not going you know, super personal here, <laughs> but, like, what sort of challenges do you look at within life, you know, that sort of add value to who you become in work and in business? Figuring out how to be honest all the time, that's the first, that's the biggest challenge. Two, being a better, being a better father and co-parent, right? That, yeah, that's been the challenge of the past year, like literally, mostly, you know? Mm. Um, and how to relate things. And also, taking accountability for things, you know? Like properly taking accountability for things. So things can happen to you, but what's your part in those things happening? You know, um, what role did you play? And one of the, one of the things that have helped me to become a better person is is learning that depression is a teacher. You know, um, how I like to think about it. This is how I like to think about it. Right? Okay. <laughs> My shooter's looking at me funny because I just got excited. <laughs> You got excited about talking about depression. <laughs> I got excited about talking that's, about that's depression. That's what my confusion comes <laughs> So, Ramdas, rest in peace, he just recently died. Ramdas said something that's like so profound that I only got this year, right? Suffering is the sandpaper of the soul, right? And often, so I was a highly functional, unhappy person, right? Up until, let's say, around June, okay. right? The business was growing 100% growth month on month, right? I mean, we started the year off doing 400,000 a month. By the time we hit June, we were doing, uh, I think, 4 million, right? Um, this is in purchase orders. In right? purchase orders, right? Month on month, right? Mm-hmm. Every month. Um, and usually, it's funny, every business that I scale, right? It's usually when everything else in my life is not going right. And it sort of forces me to focus on business and have one win in life, right? And then something near, let's call it near catastrophic happened, right, in life, which I've agreed with the person involved that we'd never discuss it on public platforms, right? Um, When that happened, it sort of crippled me. 
like crippled me, like proper crippled me. And it was, yo, we were both very vindictive and it was a very dark place. But what it did was I couldn't get out of that dark place. Now, I'm a, I'm a scientist by nature, so I experiment. So I try to figure out things that I could minus out of my life so that I could at least be functional. I couldn't even do business, right? And wow, I learned so much about, I went to, started going to therapy. If there's one thing I could suggest that all South Africans should do is get a therapist. It's expensive, get on medical aid and, and, and go and get on therapy. There are things about yourself you don't have the tools to understand how to unlock. Um, most of, the, and I learned so much, most of the things I struggle with have nothing to do with right now or even the past 10 years. Most of the things I struggle with have to do with my childhood, like my early childhood. I mean, I figured some of those other things out when I was high on psychedelics, right? This is the time I cried. I was high on LSD. I cried. I was with my, she's my ex now, but I was with my girlfriend at the time. And I cried and she asked me, why are you crying? I'm like, I finally let the seven-year-old boy free, you know? Like, from the age of seven, it felt like I was doing everything to please everybody else because you're the smart kid. You need to do X, Y, Z. You need to prove everyone. No expectation. Expectation, right? And then, in that moment, I saw the seven-year-old boy, and I was like, you're allowed to be a child, right? And then I cried, like, you're enough. Like, it's almost like you're enough, right? And that was therapeutic, but I didn't have the tools. So, I mean, let's go into this, right? So... Mm. I'm going to just put a disclaimer on the podcast. <laughs> we're going to get honest this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to go into sure. things, right? Sure. So, you've been, like, in encouraging me to do psychedelics, mainly to explore. Please do of, not say that. I mean... That's conspiracy for a crime. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. And it, it seems to have been helpful, productive, mm. impactful for you. Mm. Why do you think that is? So, I'll start with the science of it. And then I'll go into why it's important for anyone, right? So the science of it, what actually, what they've discovered thus far, especially with mushrooms and LSD, right? Is that what it does is it almost stops, you know, when you think, when you're talking, there's a, like a focal point of your brain that works, right? That, that, that's focused on talking, right? And relaying ideas. And when you're looking at something, right? There's a focal point of your brain that's, that's, that's lit up. When you're on acid or shrooms, your whole brain is lit up, like at the same time, right? And this is why people have bad trips and all of those things, right? Because what usually happens is it's a sensory overload, right? Mm -hmm. And that sensory overload gives you the cognition to do things you couldn't have imagined. Nobody knows this, right? The conception of the People's Fund was done on actually acid. I was high on mushrooms. After the high, I woke up, I called Silebuch and I called Mzu, and they both agreed. Let's do a crowdfunding platform to uh, fund black businesses. They were like, cool. Like, it was not long business discussion. They were like, cool, let's do that. And then that's how it started, right? And what happened was, in that experience, we want to discuss this experience explicitly. So different things can happen to different people. But in that experience, what happened is, you know how you're always moving through left, right, back and forth in space? but then you're only moving one direction in time, right? In that experience, what happened is I got stuck into a single moment in space, right? But I could move back and forth in time. And one of the things I saw, the best language I can use to describe it because it's so hard, because it's a sensory overload, is I saw the tomorrow of the world as a collaborative place where there are no institutions controlling a single thing, but everyone is participating in the development of the world, right? And I was like... So it looked like a crowdsource, crowdfunding type of environment, right? But everything, everything is, is unitized and made that you have equity in it, right? Like as an individual. So I don't pay taxes, then I see the potholes fixed. I'm fixing the potholes, right? Like with my money, with my investment. And that's, that's where it started. But then the science of it is that because of the sensory overlap, you should have sex on psychedelics. <laughs> I should you not. Like, literally, you should have sex on psychedelics. It's like you can see the feeling you're feeling on your body. And you can taste it. And everything happens at the same time, right? Um, I think people suffer from this disease. People who can taste color, right? If they see a color, they can taste it. So what psychedelics do is remove that filter that says you're only listening or only doing X, Y, and Z. And then the philosophical 
answer to that is that could you imagine being able to perceive everything? Because you know our mind filters things so that we can function. Imagine being able to perceive everything. Do you know what it actually feels like? It feels like you're talking to God. I, I have no other way of putting it. It literally feels like you're talking to God. And there's something called um, the default mode network in the brain. And basically what that does is gives you your ego, gives you identity, right? When you're high in psychedelics, that thing disappears. So it's like it's called ego death. And when ego death happens, what happens is you feel more connected with everything that exists. You, you can see, you can experience the connection with everything again. And that gives you so much more perspectives about the things you were angry about, things you're fighting about, being stupid, like being dumb. Like one of my biggest fears of like, because you can't do psychedelics often, right? But one of my biggest fears is if I did psychedelics often, right? I would not want to be in business because I'd be like, there are greater things to pursue. You know, like my next business, I, I think I joked about this with you, is that I'm going to get psychedelics legalized in South Africa and start a therapy uh, thing where, oh, and they're very effective for therapy. Because um, mm. you can have on the, honest conversations with yourself. Okay. So what we're not going to do yeah. <laughs> is make this podcast all psychedelics. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to state, though, like we're not encouraging the irresponsible use or... Um, so we we want to like encourage like people to be responsible, yeah, be accountable to themselves, and like this is not a podcast to try and like um, encourage people to be reckless in any way. No, hell no. So honestly, this is your experience, yeah. And I, I'd I'd say people need to be very responsible and safe around what they they sort of explore as well. So so moving on from sure, but you know, there's something very. Irresponsible, I'd be doing if I just discuss that without discussing precautions, right? Okay. Because people are going to try. No, please. People please. are going to try. Yeah. Um, there's a book. Uh, let me check it quickly on my Audible. That's best to listen to before you even think of venturing into psychedelics. Um, um, it's called it's called the, the 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 Space Traveler's Guide to Psychedelics. I think it's written by a PhD researcher of psychedelics. Particularly, his focus was LSD and, oh yeah, the Psychedelics Explorer's Guide, right? That's by uh, Stephen J. Cohen, right? Uh, please don't try anything you don't understand. These are, not, these are not recreational substances. Research the shit out of them if you ever think of doing them because they do have adverse effects. You could go crazy. Uh, you could experience psychosis, right? There are recorded cases of that happening. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you talked about psychedelics, but mm. then you also talked about spirituality sure. and diet. So let's go into spirituality. Like, how did you explore that to get back to a better place? Sure. So actually, I've been exploring that forever. The only reason, actually, I did psychedelics was for breakthrough. The first time I actually ever did them was I was meditating and I was struggling to break through. And by breakthrough, I mean where you have a complete ego death, right? Um, I read, I read, you should, uh, the, you should read the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, uh, about being, not being. A more accessible book would be The Power of Now by, um, what's his name? I forgot his name, but The Power of Now. And then the other Michael A. Singer book, um, The Untethered Soul. And how it helps spiritually is learning God. Now, I have to give context to this. I'm 31. 15 years of my life, I was atheist, right? Mm. Um, had no belief. I mean, it's that typical problem we all have when you're learning a lot of things, right? Is that you go, these stories don't make sense, right? Like, they don't make logical sense, right? And then I started growing older, and then I experienced psychedelics, and you're like, we're definitely not alone, right? Like, it's one of the things you learn. And then I started re-looking at understanding of self, right? And what is self? And then when you start looking at the ego as non-existence, just an apparition that helps you function in the world, you start seeing the Bible verses for what they were, what they are, right? Or any religious book. And... What it helped me with is understanding of my place in this world and the humility to know that I'm not doing anything. I'm just a vessel for the world, for the world I want to see, right? And I don't even choose that vision, right? That vision was instilled on me. So how it helped, right, from a religious perspective is my daughter is one of my most important religious experiences, right? 
Um, loving her has taught me what love is. And in the dark times, she was the only light, right? So I remember the first weekend where the depression really hit hard. All I did was spend the whole weekend with her. We didn't watch, well, watch a bit of cartoons with her. But basically, we just interacted, right? And I just saw her for her, not trying to teach her anything, not trying to play. It's just see her for her. I mean, she kept me on this side, <laughs> right? And learning that love and learning how to apply it, that you don't need anything else, right? That's all you need, was somewhat a spiritual journey in and of itself. It hurt like hell, though, that period. Like, but I'm, I'm so super grateful for it, right? It's like, what was the guy who got swallowed by the whale? That guy, right? I don't know. Yeah. Is some Moby Dick shit? No, no, it's Bible shit. Oh. Am I allowed to say Bible <laughs> shit? I don't offend Christians. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So, but all of those things, I've got this nice metaphor about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, right? So, there's this saying that people like to use when they buy a new car, right? And put it on social media. You prepare a table for me to feast in, the, in front of my enemies. My enemies, yeah. And I'm like, now that I've got a slightly deeper understanding of what your actual enemy is, I go, we're using that wrong. There's only one devil in the world. It is your ego. Okay. There's no other devil. There's nothing else that exists that is bad. It's your ego, right? One of the things I'd like to people to think about when they think about this is think about how the scriptures write talk about the devil and Lucifer, God's most beautiful angel, right? But it's superficial beauty, right? Lucifer is God's most beautiful angel, and the constant comment is that the devil is a liar, right? Now, that superficial beauty is like your attachment to your ego. So I'm Luanda Chafta co-founder of the People's Fund. We did 30 bars right here last year. I am the man, right? Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like the Twitter bio. Yeah, the Twitter bio. Right? Yeah. But my Twitter bio is still unemployed pretending to be an <laughs> <laughs> Right? And then you get lost in that, right? And then you lose the sense of self and the sense of your surroundings. So that's where the devil is a liar, right? I mean, when, when Jesus Christ was about to be crucified... When he had the Last Supper, he shed pieces of himself. He gave his flesh to his disciples, right? Um, and when in the depths of the pain, shedding the ego, because it's shedding, it's a metaphorical shedding of the ego so that mm. you can be one with, with the light, right? And one of the things in the depths of the pain of the ego dying, him as the human Jesus, right? Like the human part asked, God, why have you forsaken me? So, and there was no answer, right? Like, it's because the metaphor I see in that is um, you are not who you think you are. That's the first thing. You're not all of your achievements. You're not all of the things. Those are all superficial, secondary things. They help you function in the world. They're nice, right? You have to do that to have a functional world. But they're none of what you are. That's why I'm not going to answer you. Like, talk to me when you're ready to talk with me as you, right? Because uh, this pain shall pass. <laughs> like, this too shall pass. And that's, that's been my spiritual journey. And relearning scriptures across all religious denominations, most religious denominations, and understanding how scriptures fits into a life well lived. Because the problem is what we're doing with society. We're making science argue with religion. It's two different things, right? One is knowledge. The other is, I want to use the word belief, right? One teaches you how the world works. The other teaches you how to work in the world. And you shouldn't be making these two things argue. It's like one is, I'm going to use a very bad example. One is facts, one is truth. They're two very different things, you know? Mm. Truth can be slightly subjective, you know? Um, facts are not, like they're objectively true. Yeah. The other things are subjectively true. And we should not make them compete with each other. You know, because we're trying to prove that God, Jesus, was a real person. It doesn't matter if he was or wasn't. The scriptures create the best version of you if you understand them, you know, and if you read them really well, you know. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson also helped a lot in dissecting some of these things. Yeah. And then that's when it went into psychology a bit more. Jordan yeah, Peterson, yeah. as you know, is a psychologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you, <laughs> you love that guy. I love that guy. So yeah. the last part being diet. Yeah. I know you quit drinking. Yeah, I could. Was, there, was that like 
how does that factor into all of this? I just, I was hungover. Um, and I was calling someone over to do things. And... <laughs> to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> and I just felt like, nah, I use, I use alcohol as an excuse to not deal with sex addiction. Right? Because like, then you can say, um, I've got inhibitions. The inhibitions can disappear mm. when you're drunk. That's the first thing. And then secondly, I feel really shit for two days. I'm getting old, bruh. Like, <laughs> hangover. I'm hungover the first day. And the second day, I'm still tired, right? And you've got these deeply depressed feelings. Then I go, and then I just evaluated. I was like, for four hours of being nice, is this worth it? Like, I'm losing two days of productivity? I was like, nah, I'm good. So I think I'm almost fetching six months now. Of not yeah. drinking. Oh, remember when we had games nights? I drank that night. Yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> to the park. <laughs> that was the only night I drank. And it's not a, it's not a people keep asking me if you quit forever. I was like, I don't know. I just don't feel like alcohol. It's like it's like literally that simple. Mm. I don't feel like alcohol in my system. I wanna get to that point with cigarettes where I just don't feel like them, right? Yeah. Um, and then diet, um, decrease sugar like crazy. You know, we've got an do you know that we are addicted to sugar? Do you know sugar kills more people than smoking? Yeah. Right? Like, but most people don't know this because when we think sugar, we think the things we put in our tea, right? When you're eating a bun or bread, you're eating sugar, right? When you're eating uh, starchy uh, vegetables, like potatoes, chips, and not, you're eating sugar, mm. right? That thing, I even put it up, I think, on my Facebook. Statistically, sugar kills more people than cigarettes. Maybe it's, maybe it's arguable between the two. And cigarettes kill half of the people that consume them. And we all eat sugar. Like, stop and think about that for like two seconds. Yeah. Right? Like, half the people who smoke die. Right? And then sugar, everyone eats sugar and it kills more people. Excessive, when you use it excessively, kills more people than cigarettes. So I was like, I want to decrease my sugar intake and yeah. start. And one of the crazy things is I got started reading about fasting. Mm. I'd advise anyone to go on a seven-day water fast where you're just drinking water. I also took multivitamins. Um, cause, and then also exercise while you're fasting. That thing clears you right up and it puts your body in a ketogenic state, basically where your body's burning fat instead of sugar, you know, as energy. The energy levels and the erections. <laughs> dude. I'm not saying dude to endorse any of what she said. I'm saying dude as a cheese, man. No, he was saying dude. No. I'm not, I have not tried. I'm missing I don't think I could survive a fast. I mean, I've done it, you know, as like, you know, I've tried intermittent fasting here yeah. and there. Um, cutting down drinking here sure. and there. And like, to be honest, like the conversation we're having now, right? And I hope people are still listening. Mm. The thing is like, we went into so many things. Sure. But like, what I wanted to show is just like entrepreneurship is so much more, man. Mm. Like you, people will just go, you know, oh no, fucking, you know, you learn this skill, you find this gap, you mm. use these tools, you grow this thing, you get customers, you do, but there's a cycle way beyond that, mm. which is self, mm. which is, are you okay? Mm. Because I think if you think about just the culture of entrepreneurship and the way people think about it, it's almost as if we've removed the human being mm. and what's left is a list of things that Accolades. we've decided. Exactly. It's the Twitter bio. It's the... the devil is a liar. This it's is. all the articles, the podcasts, the mm. videos, the explainers that say this is what an entrepreneur is. Sure. But an entrepreneur is also a guy that's doing, you know, you say, you know, 40, 44 bar. What is it? 40? What do you mean Five bar per month. Minimum. Yeah, so five million in purchase orders, running a really great business, right? Mm. But also going through depression. Mm. But also trying to find a way to be a great father. Mm. Also going through difficulties in mm. your relationship. Mm. And the thing is, like, using a platform, you know, I don't know. I really stopped list. I stopped caring about how many people listen to this. Mm. Yes, that's important, right? Mm. Mm. Mainly because it wasn't about how many people were listening. I, I really care about how many people are affected. Mm. And if someone is listening to this and they start going, you know what? Am I okay? Mm. 
I'm not. Because I've listened to the last 500 episodes of how I built this. Sure. I've listened. I've I've read every article on <laughs> Forbes. I've I've read. Uh, I've la- read Outlier. I've read Outliers. <laughs> I've read Steve Jobs' his biography. You read them all. Right? You read them all. You subscribe to hustle mm. porn. Mm. Like the best, <laughs> the best of. I mean, who's the like? Literally, you are Mia Gary Vaynerchuk. Like you are <laughs> Mia Khalifa. Entrepreneurship. Yes. <laughs> No weekly basis. You are sure. a professional sure. at Hustle Boy, mm. but like, if you listen to this, it's not going to sound like any of that. It's probably it's, this is the crazy thing. This is more important than anything else you'd listen to. Okay, so just to round it off. How do you think you know the journey through depression, mm-hmm. um, therapy, mm-hmm. spirituality, psychedelics, yeah. and just personal growth? has changed you over the last six to nine months. And who are you as an entrepreneur from when that began to where you are now? So, these things have always existed, right? It's just it was, I didn't think people cared about them, right? And then the more I spoke about that instead of how to build a business, the more I realized people actually care about this because I honestly believe it's more important. I mean, building a business is actually a spiritual, uh, psychological, and like, it changes you. It changes you, you know. Uh, Love yours, uh, J. Cole, one of my favorite songs. I learned my one of my worst depressions when I built my first business to scale, and it was decently successful. I hit depression because I thought I was looking for money, right? But how it's changed me now in the past six to nine months, I try to be more honest with myself. Fuck everyone else, honestly. Um, I try to be honest with myself. And if I'm comfortable with that truth with myself and I feel like I'm being fully honest with myself put it out to the world, right? I'll run a business, but I'm not only an entrepreneur. You know, I'm shitload more than just an entrepreneur. And we should always remember that, like at all times, right? It might consume 18 hours of your day, but we're talking about the quality of your thoughts, right? My most quality thoughts happen like 15 minutes a day, right? And they happen when I'm alone, sitting, meditating on what's happened today or what's what I'm feeling like, right? The, that's work I do. I love it. I'm passionate about it. Um, but that's not all I am. And I suppose it's hard to remember that when you're in the grind and you're not get. I mean, I get a very decent salary now. Everyone gets a very decent salary. So I'm comfortable. Like, let's use that word, right? Like, I'm comfortable. But that's what we're working towards, right? That's why you got into entrepreneurship, because you wanted to get rich, right? Uh, I don't care for rich anymore. I've never actually cared for rich. It's been a while since I cared never. for rich. And it's like, it's, I, it's, I feel the guilt sometimes because mm. it's like, what, what's the main reason black parents send their kids to the best schools so they and try and get black tax, motherfucker, <laughs> black tax, motherfucker, the more successful you are, the better that we can also be improved, that you can change the situation at home. Sure. I care about those things. Yes. But very equally. I genuinely, like, money does not motivate me. Mm. Yes. Yes. It's it's scary. It's sad. I feel guilt sometimes because mm. I'm like, you know what? I could actually make way more money. Mm. And, like, I could make more money doing very shitty stuff. Sure. Like, fuck, I could be a motivational speaker tomorrow. Mm. 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 I could make that pivot, like, sure. very easily. I feel like I've got a good voice, mm. you know? Probably need to work out a little bit just to get the right, you know, feel slim, uh, <laughs> slim, slim. So then they look suits. at you like, oh, exactly, <laughs> slim suit, sure, fucking mm. uh, happy socks, mm. brown shoes. Get the the stereotype, right? Yeah, literally just pivot. But, but the thing is, I would never be fulfilled mm. knowing that the only reason I did this is for money. Yeah, because you're bullshitting. Yes, like I feel like. I was, you know, I was doing a vision board, right? Mm. And you know how a vision board's supposed to be? It's supposed to be pictures. Mm. The only thing I could see in the magazine was words. Yeah. You should see my vision board. <laughs> that is literally <laughs> like my girlfriend was pissed. Mm. She's like, no, you have to do another one because this is not a vision board. But I said, it is. I'm not inspired by things. So it's fine. I made another one. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure if I made it because I wanted <laughs> to. <laughs> Because, (laughs) but like the first vision board was words, Mm. right? And the the first phrase that came up to me that 
shine a light on me. The thing that I feel is my truth for this mm. year is, will it make your life more beautiful? Yes. Yes. So I someone, like someone on Twitter, I forgot the handle, but like she was talking about this theory mm. around productivity and building business mm. and stuff. And she was talking about a, a one-question policy. Mm. Right? So I'm not going to get the technical terms right because I don't remember everything. She was talking about... Um, so like the rowing team mm. for the Olympics in, in Britain, right? So they have a, a one question that, that determines whether or not they do anything, mm. right? So whether it's getting a new team guy, uh, firing one of the guys that needs to, that's part of the rowing team, changing the design of the boat, mm. uh, changing the uniforms, can we go for lunch, whatever, mm. it, whatever it is that the team does is guided by one principle. Mm. So one question. So their question is, will it make the boat go faster? Mm. So everything, mm. literally anything like that, that we decide in the team that needs to be done, does it... The question is, there's does one question. Does it make the boat, does it make the boat go oh. faster? I like that. You know what it reminds me of? Have you ever read Good to Great? No. There's a hedgehog concept there. And basically it's, we have one underlying philosophy in this company. That's the philosophy of everything. And then we figure out how everything else fits around that single philosophy. We have one goal, we'll be the best at this and nothing else. And yeah. then you keep putting momentum to that, right? Like nothing else. Anything else you touch, does it still Will fit? it make the boat go faster? Exactly. So literally my truth for this year, my mm. one question, will it make my life more beautiful? I like that. You know, I really like that. <laughs> do, you, do, you know, do you know why I, why I really like that? It reminds me of... Especially where the money is not the motivation. Because money is nice. Like, it's a helpful tool. Like, I enjoy my life. I won't lie. I've, I've got a pretty comfortable... No, I'm grateful. Mm, yeah, I'm and, like, I never want to be in a situation where I'm scrambling. Sure. But it's just not the motivation. Sure. More is not going to make it better. Right? Like, yeah. loosely putting it, right? Yeah. Like, if I got more than what I'm getting right now, life satisfaction wouldn't be much greater. It would just be a scorecard of, I've got more resources. Yeah. Right? Um, and why I like that is Tao Te Ching, the, the book I was talking about. It says, the art of doing by not doing, right? Um, Brah, I can't stress to you how well business is going, right? It's going great. But we are less stressed about the business. Like, we're doing by not doing. And it's weird. Money also functions like this. The moment you stop chasing it, and you start chasing impact, value, it just piles up. I don't know why. I call it spiritual things, right? It just piles up. Like, when I mean pile up, it's like it's a decent amount. I mean, I've got an ego, right? So sometimes I go, yeah, I want to be the best entrepreneur, blah, 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 right? In the country, right? Period, right? Yeah, that's my competitive side, but it doesn't last long, right? And then also, it's also a commitment to my other shareholders and my board that I've got targets I've set that I should achieve. That's, that's as far as it goes. And I think we're doing something important. We're creating value. We're creating... I mean, the other day I was looking, we were the most referred on social media. We're the most referred purchase order funding company in the country. So when people, when they're on Facebook going, I need funding for an order, when, I looked, when you look through the comments, you'll see if they mention NYDA or whatever, whatever, right? Or NEF or whatever. They'll mention TPF three times as much as all of the others combined, right? It's like... So we're doing something that matters, mm. right? It matters. But besides that, I mean, there's other plans in the future, but besides that, it's like, it's still a job. And never forget that, you know? It's not all of you. If somebody told me five years ago that I'd be talking about Paybook as something in the past, I mean, like, you're talking nonsense. That's me. That's who I am, right? Mm. So that's in the past. I only use the marketing skills here on the people's fund. And it's like, don't hold yourself to a business too tightly, right? Like, decrease attachment. The only thing you should be holding on to is your personal growth. Mm. You know? Like, you. Are you okay? And I think therapy helps in this regard. You know, like, proper, proper therapy. Because are you okay? Are you okay? I felt like a human note. <laughs> <laughs> right? I feel like it's such a different question from how are you? Mm. How are you has just become the more... It's just like a formality. It's like hello. It's an extension of hello. Hello. How are you? Mm. Are you okay? Is hey man. Are you okay? Like, like looking in each other's eyes. Hey man. <laughs> and 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 you, it makes you that question makes you naked. Yeah. Right. 
It's like that thing Jay-Z was saying in that interview he did where guys in his neighborhood, we also know this from Ekasi, where you don't look at each other. And when you look at me for no. enough, it's like, big in. Yeah. It's a danger. Yeah, like, it's like, no, well, why are you scrutinizing? Why are you scrutinizing me? And he said it nicely. It's like, it's almost like through his therapy he learned, it's like you're almost afraid that this other person sees how vulnerable and scared you are. So, because we're all scared, right? Like, we're all children. Well, most men, especially the stronger, the bravado, you're just a little boy who needs a hug, right? Like, literally needs a hug. Um, and figuring out that. And also learning how society functions. You know, like, there's so many monikers and titles. I've been watching the self-destruction of political correctness, you know? Um, I know that sounds like a smart phrase. I don't know. I just thought of that now. But... What I mean by that is political correctness has gotten to the point where the people who are trying to police people about being politically correct are scared of being in the wrong. So they are so afraid of being in the wrong that all they'll do all day is point fingers at this person, like call out culture and all of those things. And I go, yeah, you guys are creating shackles for, mo for yourselves and the rest of society. Uh, society doesn't work like this. It's like, um, I actually, I'm trying to stay clear of saying, I'm not X, Y, Z, or I subscribe to X, Y, Z, right? Like, I'm trying to stay clear of saying, I think radical feminism is X, Y, Z, and etc. Because there's things that are good in patriarchy and there's things that are good in feminism. And what we've done now as society, we've given a title and given a catch-all phrase to things that are bad, right? Um, a good example of this is how we raise families. Right? And how men think about money. Right? Start with that first, that last one. <laughs> the last one. Yeah. I'm, I'm really trying to... Do you know, I feel like I never really truly understood my relationship with money. Sure. And that's why I fuck it up so much. Shame. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I never there. built a relationship around money like where I was like, you know what? This is why I need it. Mm. And it also goes back to money not being a motivation. Mm. And it's just like... I'm, I'm, I tweeted it. I tweeted this. It got to like 300 retweets, right? Mm. I don't like who I am when I don't have money. Mm. But at the same time, it doesn't motivate me. Sure. What's the midpoint of that? Mm. So it's literally just around like, I want to build a relationship yes. where I've seen the worst of it. Where you know hey, I didn't hey, have a job. Hey, I was hey, hey, pretending hey. to be an entrepreneur. It's tough, man. Bullshitting on social mm. media. I need to see more extremes of people that have done it. Mm. And maybe that can help me get to a midpoint. Sure. Where I understand how I think of money as a human being. First. As a man. Second. And as you. And as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right? Because so, I feel like in entrepreneurship now, money is like... Uh, man, it's such a... We live in a in a way more complex time than we allow ourselves to understand. Yes, yes. Because I feel like in one breath, right, money is the sole problem why most businesses won't ever start. That's what people believe. Yeah. I'm not saying I believe that. Sure. On the other end, you've got 100 million, uh, 500 million raises. Mm. Of VCs mm. and startups and, and for things that don't even make sense, some of them. <laughs> You've got two of those, right? Mm. It's such a vast experience in the middle mm -hmm. that you barely ever see, mm -hmm. and people don't make room for that middle, for that complexity, for the diversity of experiences, lessons, mm. and truths in the middle. In the middle, Mark Manson talked about this nightly. He said, "That's why we have victimhood as a culture, right? Because." What we don't realize, most of all of us, most of our lives are boring. We're either waiting or living, doing admin, right? Most of our lives. But the things that make news are either terribly traumatic or terribly exceptional, right? So we don't, if we live in the middle, we feel like we're not exceptional. Uh, let's blame this on our primary school teachers and our high school teachers, right? Let's <laughs> divert accountability. Why? <laughs> let's, let's divert accountability. The gold star. And, and the gold star, the participation award. So we started believing we're exceptional without working to be exceptional, right? Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is you don't have to be exceptional. 
I can't say this enough, right? All you have to be is con- have contentment, right? Like be content with who you are. That's that's the greatest victory you could win in life. And back to the money question, in my opinion, this is this is my open-ended opinion. There are many books that can teach you how to manage money, right? But when your psychology about money is about power, it's very dangerous. So I'm going to speak from a male perspective, right? One, there's something we need to get out of the way. Like, you need to stop beating around the bush and using political correctness. As a man, you have to provide, right? I don't care who says what. Like, I don't care who says what and whatnot. Yeah, she can earn more than you, whatever. But as a man, you have to provide, right? Um, If you're in a heterosexual relationship, you have to provide. Um, She must feel like she never has to fork out anything. That's my personal opinion. But by evaluating most couples that have fights and evaluating some literature on this, it seems like it's the normal, it's the norm subconsciously even, not even consciously, right? Because if you look at how we pick our mates, there's an interesting saying, right? Um, you know I love this saying. I think Banele said this, right? Um, men fuck who they can. I'm uh, sorry. Women fuck who they want and marry who they can. Men fuck who they can and marry who they want, right? Like, if you go deep into that thing, is that sexual selection is done by women, Right? Pairing choice is done by men, right? Mm. And sexual selection is what we accumulate wealth for as men, right? Any man who's doing anything of substance, right? Like where they were trying to build themselves up and whatnot. The subconscious motivation is to be able to have access to the best woman in society. It's the, it's the truth. People don't want to accept it, but it's the fucking truth, right? Or be able to maintain with the person you, you have right now, Right? The primary motivation for men is sex. I, I, I have no other way of putting it. And um, transcending that is when you go into the spiritual realm, right? Where it's like, ah, all the things I wanted seem stupid now, right? That's when you go spiritual realm. But let's talk about the biological desires, right? But we've done this thing as men where we've argued with women, that my reason for providing is so that you can clean the house, you can cook for me, and you can fuck me. No, that is not the reason you're providing. That is nowhere near the reason you're providing. You are providing for yourself. And what I mean by this is, if you want to have great sex and don't want to have the headache of somebody asking you, did you take out the trash? Did you do X, Y, and Z? You create an environment where they don't have to worry about these things. That's what money does, right? And when you create that environment, you get the thing you realize when you're fetching your 30s and getting older, most men, it's at their 40s, what you actually want. You don't want to be right, you want peace, you know? And that's what I'm figuring out now, is that I'm chasing peace. So I have to provide with as a man, right? So, and then I've got a daughter, so my story is a little different. Everything I'm doing financially is for her. <laughs> like, you, I, I've ceased to exist, you know? I may enjoy a holiday here. I like having excess cash to do dumb shit like that every once in a while. But primarily, I'm building my wealth so that she has choice, you know. Um, choice of school. She can go to the most expensive. We saw the results now. Go to the most expensive schools. If that's what her mother wants or if she, that's what we want for her, there's that choice, right? And the other thing I'm learning, I remember I had a very bad fight because of my ego about money with someone. And... I pulled back immediately after I apologized, right? And it's somebody I'm not supposed to be arguing with about money at all. And I'm learning that you're going to be fighting this ego with your money for life, you know? We men, especially if we didn't have money, when we accumulate a bit of money, we like to use it as a means to control people. Man, you need to deal with some psychological issues to let go of that. It's not going to be easy because we do feel, we do feel sort of castrated in society. Right, mm-hmm. like there's, there's no room to be masculine anymore. You know, it's like masculinity has become a code word for toxicity. And it's like, yeah, this is why you have men like combat sport and that sort of thing. Right? It's, it's like an outlet for the pent up testosterone, pent up tension of 
I can't exert myself as a man anymore. And instead of navigating the route of finding a middle ground for what mas masculinity is, you know, because this is the ironic thing. I made a joke once in my head. <laughs> I didn't make it out in public because sometimes you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> if women want a man with lower, uh, lower attributes of toxic masculinity, we need to, they need to stop accepting them as lovers. Yeah, that that's not even a joke. It just makes sense. It's like you need to stop accepting them as lovers, yeah. right? Like stop making because it's weird. We intellectually talk about how hypermasculinity is so disgusting, blah blah blah. But then alpha males, hypermasculine males are the ones who get all the girls. If if women understood their power, they'd figure out how to craft the world they want to see. We'd have far less masculine men in society or hypermasculine men in society. So, I mean, so we've gone through so many um, different elements of life. <laughs> so I think I'm actually like, I mean, we've gone through sex, we've gone through drugs, we've gone through money. Diet a little bit. Yeah, diets, so much other stuff. But like, um, something that I've been really thinking about and sort of speaks to what you've been speaking about as well is um, truth, right? Mm. What do you think entrepreneurs and just people in general need to do to find their truth and use that truth to be way more fulfilled mm. and way more successful? Sure. I would never purport to have all the answers. But one thing I know definitely that helps with that, if you've got the money for it, therapy, right? If you don't read up on the psychology of that makes 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 you what you are. Carl Jung is a good place to go. But Jordan Peterson explains that much better. So get the Jordan Peterson podcast. Start it from the beginning, right? Especially men, especially men. Because we're the ones who struggle with understanding our emotions. You know, I think how we set up society, or maybe it might even evolution, be evolutionary biology, is that women talk about their emotions a lot more from a young age, and that's what they focus on. And we focus on accumulation and that sort of thing. So... We don't understand ourselves. So the first thing is learn who you are, right? Learn your triggers, why your triggers exist and all of those elements, right? That's the first, first and most important thing. And then two, take on a responsibility. Nothing gives you purpose or meaning in life more than taking on some kind of responsibility, right? Like picking a, pick a struggle. Like, you know, that Mark Manson says this, Jordan Peterson says this, life says this, right? Because... I always go to people, have you ever wondered why the highest suicide rates are in the richest countries? You know, like it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's partly because your mind will always create a problem. And when your problems are no longer a struggle, you know, like I'm struggling to put food on the table. Now your problems are emotional and fixing those is no flipping child's play. You know, we've got high depression rates, high anxiety rates and all of those things. I think, and sometimes they are chemical. But I've heard very many experts say there's, we like to talk about depression like, um, like an, similar to like how you describe an autoimmune disease, you know, like something that, and I don't remember who said it was, and these are people in the field of psychology, they were like, no, a chemical imbalance in depression that has no cause is near non-existent, like it's a very small percentage. It's... It's just you might be predisposed to it. It's like you and I will drink, but you might be predisposed to become alcoholic. So most people, it's causes that are outside of you, but then how you deal with it inside then becomes the disease. It's not that you're born and you're like, you're just unhappy with your life. It doesn't, or you, you develop depression out of nothing. It's like your experiences create that and becomes chronic, you know? So most of us need to learn what's causing our pain. Manjangiti in the streets, it's like, no, stop treating it like it's something you solve tomorrow. Um, it's a disease. And it's like, wait, now you're removing the agency for dealing with these things. Because it's like, when you, as soon as you tell somebody it's an ailment that they suffer from, it's like, oh, so I have no control over this. And it's like, why would I even try? You know? So it's, it's also, and also dissecting things you get told, and finding your own truth. Because we accept a lot of things at face value, you know.
Yeah.